electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Deirdre, John, Julia, thank you very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody, on a big Jobs Friday. I am Brian, in for Scott once again. More Americans are going back to work, and the growing economy has markets and your money at new records. And money pouring back into a crucial area of the market and maybe moving out of another. So how does it all balance out, and are there more gains ahead for the markets and your money in the months ahead? A lot of topics to debate and discuss we have got the perfect investment committee for you today. Shannon Sakocha, Courtney Gibson, Michael Farr, and Jim Labenthal. All right, before we get to them, here's a quick hit on where stocks are right now. And we are right at highs for the day. The major average is trying for a second straight week of gains. The S&P 500 hitting a record high. And get this, aiming for a seventh straight day of gains. Lucky seven That would be the longest winning streak since all the way back in August of last year. Wow. The Nasdaq also hitting record highs. The Dow at its highest level in about a month. We're up 70 points right now on the Nasdaq comp, about a half a percent for all the major averages as well. And welcome to everybody in the committee and happy Friday. That jobs number coming in hot, but maybe not too hot, Shannon. And I wonder, is that kind of the thing? I tweeted out, I thought it was kind of the Goldilocks number. It was good, made people happy, but it wasn't so good that it puts new fears of Fed tapering back on the table. How would you break it down? I couldn't agree more. I think this was, first of all, a great number coming into a long weekend. Nothing for investors to be particularly concerned about. There were, you know, there's a couple of points here on the jobs number. The jobs number has disappointed consensus over the last couple of months, which, you know, yield, yields the conclusion that perhaps economists aren't exactly sure what's happening with the pace of the economic recovery. They're not sure how much these higher wages that are being demanded by workers to come back into the workforce are impacting hiring. And I think this number essentially said yes. There are higher wages being paid. Yes, there are some mismatches between supply and demand in the employment market. But we are seeing, you know, jobs coming into the market. And I think what we're also seeing is we're seeing that, you know, that that U6 number that measures the sort of underemployed and part-time workers, that number's for under 10% for the first time since the pandemic. So that's an important point because, you know, if we get participation, you know, steady, and then we also see some of these workers that classify themselves as being underemployed coming back into full-time work, I think those are the trends that the Fed is going to look at as promising, but not necessarily yeah. hot, too hot as to take them off of, you know, their current course. Yeah. Well, well, Courtney, just between us kids, here's the dirty secret of the jobs number. Don't tell anybody. The jobs number doesn't move the market. The Fed moves the market and the Fed looks at the jobs number. So with that in mind, does this number change what you think the Fed may or may not do with rates? 
Sally, it's so good to see you today and everyone on the committee. Um, like, let's really think about this for a second. As you mentioned so beautifully, the jobs number and the Fed are intertwined. The good news about what happens in America is that we get the data. We know what the Fed is seeing to a certain extent across the board, whether it's from earnings, whether it's wage growth, whether it's jobs, manufacturing, you take your pick. So we can create our own story, if we like, around where we think the economy and the market is going. Has my position changed on where I think the Fed is going to go? Absolutely not. I think they have been incredibly transparent about how they're thinking about this. And I think those numbers that came out today, again, further solidifies Jay Powell's stance of watching the numbers and paying attention to the data, not moving too quickly and not moving too slowly. I think what we'll see kind of in the July jobs numbers will be incredibly important as well as September, but we'll get something out of Jackson Hole, I think, in August. Whether or not they decide that they are going to signal that they'll begin tapering or not, we'll see. I think it's, it's possible, but I'm not sure that they're going to kind of use that quite yet until we actually see what happens when some of the unemployment programs begin to roll off. It's great to see mm. the market and companies absorbing higher wages. And I want to be very clear, because what that says, again, two-thirds of GDP is the consumer spending. So if higher wages are coming in, right, and companies say, we can afford to do this, we need to do this, guess what? They're going to be expecting a return on that investment from those employees. Those employees are going to get paid more. And guess what? They're going to go shop at Walmart. They're going to go shop at Take Your Pick. They're going to buy flights. They're going to go stay in hotels. So let's pay attention to this, because I think that's why the market is excited today. And I think we'll continue to see great news and great transparency, which is key, out of the Fed. And we'll begin to watch that as we move into the second half of the year. Yeah, four states ending their extended unemployment benefits June 12th, six more on the 19th. Kind of got a real world economic experiment going on in real time. John and Jerry and also joining us by phone. We called them up at Klondike 557. Uh, John, what is the options market saying? What are you seeing in the internals about what the market may be suggesting about the Fed? Well, certainly the market's not overly concerned, Brian. Just to Courtney's point, um, we're seeing the lowest level for VIX, uh, nearly a one-week low today. Um, not one week, I'm sorry, a one-year low. We hit 1425 for the VIX um, just uh, minutes ago. We're right now at about 1450 for that so-called fear index. And uh, the range for the year, last 52 weeks, is 1410, which is the low to 41.16. So obviously, um, there is very little, if any, fear in the market here. I think they're more or less confident that where we are going through the summer into Jackson Hole is a fairly safe place. And Jackson Hole, of course, will be a potential wild card for how the Fed uh, gives us their outlook from there forward. So I think that's the really next point on the calendar, Brian, the uh, Jackson Hole, not really today's jobs report. Yeah, and Jim, how do we look at it in with all the other data points that we have seen? The jobs number is a big one, but it's just one of them. We've had other things that seem a little more inflationary. How do you read it? Do we get a, a Fed rate hike before the dot plot, which I can't stand even saying, uh, suggests that we might in 2023? 
Good. I'm glad you're going there because it's really the rate hike that we should be worried about. Um, you know, that's when the Fed turns hawkish. All the time that they're tapering, they're still buying bonds. OK, so that means that they're still accommodative. So let's just talk about this. In order to have a rate hike, they have to complete tapering. They're not going to be accommodative by buying bonds and raising rates at the same time. In order to end tapering, they've got to start tapering. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't think they start tapering until January. Here's why. Because the end of the year is absolutely the worst time to start tapering. You know that. I know that. Everybody in the panel knows that. You don't want to start tapering the second half of November on. So if you're going to start tapering before November, or excuse me, before the uh, second half of November, you got to make that call this July. you got to come out of this July meeting and say, hey, we're ready to talk about tapering now. I just don't think they're there. I think this goes back to your question about how important is this jobs number? It's a little important, but it's one data point out of many. We've had two dismal jobs reports, and we're trying to combine that with jobless claims and, uh, you know, Fed regional surveys that say the labor market is, is good. The bottom line, and here's my stake in the sand, there isn't enough data for the Fed to start getting aggressive at this July meeting. And if they don't get aggressive at this July meeting, then the earliest is August, which means mm. they can't start tapering until January. So I guess, Michael, we can paraphrase our friend Jim Cramer. It's not that they know nothing. It's maybe they just they don't know enough right now. Would that be the way to say it? Piggybacking on Jim's comments? I think, Brian, that is the right way to say it. Happy Independence Day, by the way. This is this is my favorite holiday of the of the, of the year. I mean, to celebrate America is just my favorite. You know, at our and Jay Powell's last comments, we heard that he's sort of embracing the uncertainty. He's data dependent. He said a couple of times, we just don't know. We have to wait and see. I think Labenthal is actually on to something here. It pains me slightly to say it, but I, I think that that's right. Oh, they certainly got you. themselves in trouble. <laughs> in 20, you know, December 2018, we had a full-on bear market because the Fed basically overstepped. I don't think they're going to do it again. And when you think, in, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at the granularity of employment numbers. Let's go back a year and think about sitting here now. You think about where we were a year ago at the beginning still of the shutdown, a shutdown economy, even January. We're up 14 percent since January. January, we were hoping to figure out how we were going to get vaccinated and that any of this would happen. So that the Fed, given all of that and as many things economically and in business are happening as quickly as they are, I think the Fed is right to be patient. And I think Mohamed Alarian said yeah. it best, too, in his CNBC.com piece. Take your foot off the accelerator before you have to stand on the brake. And he actually agrees with Jim. Actually, actually, you're actually right, Jim. All right. Well, let's do, We're going we to get back to this. We've got there. a lot more to do. But right now, hold on. Right now, we have got a big market flash on a big stock broadcom. Let's get to Christina Partsenevelos with that. Christina, what do you got? Well, this is quite big because the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, now is charging Broadcom with illegal monopolization and orders uh, the semiconductor, actually, the supplier to stop its anti-competitive conduct. So what they're saying is that uh, the uh, broadband is has been monopolizing the market for semiconductor components. The commission also issued a consent order that would force them to uh, to require the customers to source 
source components from Broadcom on an exclusive or near exclusive basis. And the quote from this report coming out right now is probably the most, uh, I guess, significant. The FTC Bureau of Competition Acting Director said America has a monopoly problem. Today's complaint reflects the commission's commitment to enforcing the antitrust laws against monopolists, including in high-tech industries. So again, this is coming out. The FTC is charging Broadcom, which you can see on your screen, the stock is getting hit slightly now, dropping even more over illegal monopolization. So this has to do with semiconductors. This is news that we're getting right now. Uh, And again, that bold statement, America has a monopoly problem. Back to you. Yeah, under the AVGO, the old Avago ticker there, the stock down about 2%, not a huge hit on Broadcom. We'll talk more about it in a few minutes with the semiconductors. Christina, thank you very much. Thanks. All right, so back now to the markets. Overall, technology is the best performing sector this week. The S&P and NASDAQ both hit new highs led by tech. Now, the reason is very simple. There are more buyers than there are sellers. Big-time money is going back into that group. Bank of America's flow data showing the first inflow to tech in eight weeks. That has reflected many of the names that you know making shareholders even more money. Microsoft and Alphabet hitting new all-time highs today. Guys, kind of an amazing thing. Courtney, I'll go to you. I mean, as a macro play, tech's where it's been for five-plus years. Got a little wobbly to start the year. It looks like it's back. Do you agree? Is that where people should be putting their new money? I definitely do. And at Loop Capital Markets, we cover institutional investors as well as some on the high net worth and retail side. And what we've seen is almost a two to one buying over the last couple of weeks on this dip with tech um, back in. I think there was a lot of fear at the start of the year. Um, You know, we can debate at another time whether or not it was correct or not as it relates to interest rates rising faster than expectations. But I think that it got a little hot. When you think about some of those other cyclical names and and value names, and people thought there was going to be this tremendous migration from value or from growth back into value and that tech was somehow going to disappear, tech is the underpinning of our economy globally. And so I think depending on where you want to be in that space, you have to be in that space. And so I don't care if it's fintech is your play. I don't care if it's the apples of the world, the Microsoft, if you like your chips. But tech has to be a staple in your portfolio or this market will, will, will... chew you up and spit you out, to be honest with you. And so for me personally, the long-term play is absolutely an overweight to tech until we decide what the next thing that's going to underpin this economy will be. But for right now, it's going to move everything, and we have to be in it. Yeah, leading all the ETFs, leading all the indexes. I mean, even if you don't want to own tech, you're probably going to own tech or have to own tech. Let's move on to specific technology names, okay? Because Alphabet, Google named a top pick at Bernstein. They say that even with some of the regulatory uncertainty, you know, the government poking around about regulatory issues, the analysts say there is not much to not like about Google right now. They're saying, why I love Google, Jim, for the second half of the year, 30% operating margin and a moat more robust than the walls of Benin. Whatever the heck that means. (laughs) Yes, please. Are you a yes, please, on Alphabet slash Google? Uh, I'm definitely a yes. And thanks for admitting. I don't even know what that reference was. Um, I think with Alphabet, what you've got to start with is that the FANG names are attractively priced right now. But when you look at Alphabet in particular, this still over a five-year period has greatly lagged the rest of the FANG names. Five-year annualized return, 
30%. Now, you may say, well, that's pretty good, and it is. But you know what? Amazon five-year return up 37%. Uh, Apple five-year return 44%. Now, all of these stocks have had kind of, you know, lackluster, maybe not alphabet, but if you look at Apple and Amazon, they're up just a handful of percentage points year to date, which may mean that they're just pausing, they're just consolidating. Either way, the valuations and the business fundamentals right now are very positive for the FANG names to start working right now. The only risk that, that's out there, and it's been out there for years, is regulatory and litigation. we got to keep our eye on it. That We can't put our head in the sands on that. But right now, that is not a reason to get out of these stocks. You have to be in these stocks. 16,000 kilometers of Earthbank wall around the city that is now Edo, Nigeria. There's your wall of Benin reference. All right, let's move on. Microsoft. Goldman Sachs still pounding the table, reiterating a buy. They have a $340 target, about 25% upside. They love the longer-term shifts, secular shifts, all benefiting Microsoft as well. Shannon, they see a pathway for sustained double-digit top-line growth along with continued margin expansion, but the stock has already been red hot. How much of that is priced into Microsoft already? Well, Microsoft is our biggest position and has been our biggest position for the last couple of years. But we did actually trim the stock in the fourth quarter of last year, just relative to other names that were available in the market. Um, You know, some of this may be priced in, but... You know, you think about, Sully, this business, um, you could just buy Microsoft and you actually could get exposure to so many different trends, to cloud, to gaming, to um, enterprise spend at the business level. You could essentially buy what are the sustainable trends in technology just by buying Microsoft. And so I do continue to think that the way that they have built the business, you know, being able to determine, and I think this is what Google has actually suffered from, is a little bit of pie-in-the-sky spending, especially on the venture side. Microsoft has been very disciplined about the businesses that they have put money into and the return that they expect to have from new business lines. And I think that that, you know, from a capital allocation standpoint, point makes them a great makes it a great stock to own for the next several years because there's no way to Courtney's point that they don't benefit from this accelerating economy and and the growth that we're seeing but they are also well positioned to be able to have that return Mm. to shareholders over the next several years long way from the zoom music player Shannon a long way from that Satya Nadella also being named chairman all right as big as those names are Brian they're big There is no stock more important to parts of the market, probably the entire market, than Apple. While it is not the heaviest weight in the dollar-weighted Dow, we get that. Apple is one of the most widely owned stocks in the world by retail investors, mutual funds, and hedge funds. And it's been kind of a disappointment to all three for the last six months. Apple kind of quietly having its worst first half to a year in five years. But that may be about to change. Apple is actually the best-performing FANG name this week. Question is, will Apple stock get its mojo back in the months ahead? John Nigerian, by phone, you own the stock, you own calls. You're obviously bullish. I really like the stock. The move that it's made lately, um, the endorsement that it's getting from more and more institutional investors, not just um, people that, you know, I, I have all the respect in the world for analysts, actually, Brian, so I don't mean this um, lightheartedly. But I pay more attention to people who are putting their money where their mouth is. And 
institutional players have been accumulating positions in this name for months now. Um, when it was in the low 120s, uh, virtually every big block was being bought um, as people were either exiting or nervous and saying, boy, this hasn't performed well. They were selling to the, you know, the diamond hands, if you will, if we use a digital currency or at least a meme slash rebel stocks uh, adjective. We see more and more of those diamond hands yeah. just buying, buying, buying all the way up in Apple. And I think <laughs> that continues into the fall, Brian. Diamond hands, Michael Farr on Apple. I, I, you're going to hold this thing for the long, long, long term, I imagine. Well, I think there's no question about that. And when you look at some of the other names that we've talked about this morning that I own, too, I mean, you know, Google or Microsoft and uh, up 30 or 40 percent year to date when they've averaged 30 percent. I mean, those stocks have had a good run, and I think they still look good for the balance of the year. Apple hasn't run, and I've made more money being a bit of a contrarian by buying things that aren't hot, that buy, I don't buy the most popular thing out there on the day. And that sort mm. of a discipline for a really solid company, I think, makes you better money longer term. So when you look at it compared to the rest of that group, I think Apple is the standout buy. Is there any reason to not like I mean, we're all we're all Courtney on this Apple love fest. I get it. But, you know, Jeff Gunlock made a point a number of years ago saying, Everybody owns it. So why would something maybe go up at the time when everybody already owns the stock? I think you're going to knock Apple. It's where's the growth? iPhones are lasting longer. And if everybody already owns it, who's left to buy it? I'll take your Look, bait. Let's I'll be take clear. your bait, a Brian. Why... You, you know yeah, that, Courtney? <laughs> Courtney? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, then, and then we got to pass it to Farmer Jim because we usually agree on this name for sure. Ultimately, with Apple, that name has been crushed recently. I mean, and, and people for a while, like I've been sitting on my Apple position for a while, and I'm not seeing that growth that I wanted to see, but I know it's going to be there. So yes, their, their last products are lasting longer, but I still continue to buy them. Every, every child I have gets an iPad for some reason at this point because it helps mommy a little bit, right? I do not care when you have a name and a company that's as innovative and creative as Apple is, you have to be in that name. And I'll give you one. You know, people were talking about Microsoft and actually holding it. We did see some large institutional sells at this point in Microsoft. And I'm sure it wasn't because they don't believe in it. It's similar to Shannon. It's just that it hit some, some pretty high numbers and you want to trim a little bit to lock in at the end of a quarter. And think about what institutional investors are doing. They're benchmarked against the benchmark. How are you performing in yep. that portfolio? And you got to take a few wins off. And so I think Apple, though, however, is at a point where it is set and stable for a breakout. And just wait for that next super cycle. Houndstooth coat, Jim. Yeah. Listen, I'm so sorry I stepped on Courtney's toes. I misheard the cue. Um, but listen, I think this is as simple as the line from all the president's men, follow the money. This is a cash flow story. And when the stock is down, they're just buying and retiring more shares. These are real sharebacks. They shrink the share count by like 6% year over year. So if somebody is saying like, oh, I think it's overpriced, I think it should go to $90. And I know there are analysts out there. That is not like the analyst who has Tesla at 150. There's rationality to that call because the cash flow isn't there. But with Apple, that cash flow is there. If the stock dips, they just keep buying back more shares. Follow the money. 
That's See, it. Follow the money. Good. We like it. All right. Good discussion there on Apple. Okay. So Apple has not been exactly red hot this year. But what has been red hot is the semiconductors, at least some of them. Many chip stocks coming off their best month since all the way back in February. About half the stocks in the SMH ETF are outperforming the S&P 500 year to date. And names like NVIDIA just keep hitting new all-time highs. NVIDIA up about 50% in three months, helped by demand for things like cars, data centers. And you might have heard about crypto commodities and all the mining certainly that it takes there. I mean, uh, Jim, I'll come right back to you on this because I know this is another group that you have liked for a long time. But again, things just, I get, maybe they can go up forever, but at some point, do the valuations get stupid? Well, listen, this is a great question. I think I've got to answer it by saying this semiconductor space is a wide, wide space. So maybe you look at NVIDIA and say it's overpriced. You know, somebody else will say, yeah, but that's been the call for four years and you've missed it the whole time. I'm not in that name. I am in Qualcomm, which I find to be tremendously overvalued and another share repurchase story. I'm in NXPI, which I think is at fair value, but I think fair value is going to grow well above the rest of the space because of its exposure to automotive uh, uh, industries, including AVs and EVs. So I'm not even touching the Microns and the Texas Instruments, which are right in the middle of the fairway. If somebody wants to be a deep value player, they can go in on Intel, which I think we got to start looking at again. I mean, it's been in the penalty box a long time. The point I'm driving at, Brian, is that if we just look at NVIDIA, I think we could miss a lot of other beautiful trees in this forest that is the semiconductor space. John Nigerian, where are some of those beautiful trees in the semiconductor arboretum? <laughs> well, certainly in the chip space, Brian, um, you can't really uh, ignore, nor would anybody want to, um, advanced micro devices, AMD. Um, the stock's been an absolute monster. Um, you can put it right up there against NVIDIA. AMD's been dominating data centers and so forth. And I think that this is a real issue that people uh, that trade these stocks all the time know that this is a monster, AMD. And for the year right now, let me just give a get a quick one here. For the year, the stock looks like, you know, it hasn't done anything. But you look at, you know, this last surge, just like Apple. From the middle of May, this was a $73 stock. Now it's a $95 stock. Um, I think that surge continues because of everything Farmer Jim just said. Um, this is something people got to have, whether it's uh, for data centers, um, whatever kind of chips you need, chances are either NVIDIA or AMD make it. And that's why those are two of the top picks in the space. All right. Good call there and good calls lately, certainly pun intended on the option side, as well as the stock side on some of those semiconductors. They have been red hot. All right. It is a red hot Friday and we have done a lot, but we got a lot to do straight ahead. One big bank getting a big double upgrade today as an analyst does a total about face. There's your mystery chart, the name ahead. And a reminder, if you're getting out there driving this weekend, a lot of you are, you can always listen, watch, do whatever. CNBC app, download it today. Halftime Report is back at two with the Dow up 103.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. In Florida, authorities announcing the recovery of two more bodies from the ruins of that collapsed condo. The death toll now stands at 20, with 128 people still missing. Plans are being worked on to tear down what's left of the building. President Biden saying that the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan is on track, but will not be done in the next few days. Earlier today, American forces pulled out of Bagram Air Base, their main military compound in Afghanistan. And on the news tonight, 20 years of America's war in Afghanistan winding down. What comes next and what's being done to maintain gains against the Taliban? The Supreme Court says that it will hear a dispute from Maine over state funding and religion. Two families are challenging a state rule that bars them from using a tuition assistance program to help pay for their children to attend Christian schools. And the Boy Scouts of America agreeing to an $850 million settlement with lawyers representing some 60,000 alleged victims of child sexual abuse. It's one of the biggest such settlements ever, and it could be a key moment in the bankruptcy case for the Boy Scouts. You're now up to date. Brian, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money. And that double upgrade in the mystery chart that we teased a few minutes ago, it is PNC Financial. Wolf Research going big, taking it from an underperform to an outperform, basically just skipping perform, you know, hold. It's also raising its target on PNC to a new street eye of 252 bucks. Michael, they see a, quote, superior revenue growth outlook. It is your call of the day. Michael, you've owned it for a while. PNC never seems to get the love as the other big banks, but it just keeps performing. Yeah, I mean, welcome. Well, welcome to the match here, uh, Wolf. That's, that's what you say in golf when somebody finally makes a decent shot. Not that they don't make decent shots. But this one, you're a little late, but it's uh, better late than never because it's working. And I think it's going to continue to work. I've owned it a long time. It is up almost 30% year to date, but it's 17 times earnings, 1.6 times book, 
2.6% dividend. It's got a terrifically solid balance sheet. And, um, I, you know, I think the stock buybacks are going to continue. I think you see the dividend increase. I like this call. I hope to hold this stock for another five or ten years. It is a core position for me. Wow, core position. All right, let's move on to another name. And that is Big Blue, getting a little bit smaller today. We're talking about IBM, and IBM shares are down pretty big after news broke that President Jim Whitehurst is leaving the company. Random but interesting, Whitehurst actually out-earned the CEO of IBM last year by $10 million, bringing in $27 million in total comp, according to FactSet. He'll be fine. But Shannon Sokocha, will investors, you own it, stock's down 5%. Yeah, we bought IBM last year and really, you know, on um, the thesis that the Red Hat acquisition was really going to allow IBM to move towards this hybrid strategy that's been so successful for other um, big tech firms. So this is definitely concerning to us. I mean, I know that the argument is you're getting, you know, kind of paid to wait for this catalyst to unlock the value with, a, you know, 4% dividend yields, probably closer to 4.5% right now with, <laughs> with the stock moving the way it is. Um, but I, I do think that this bears worth watching. Uh, you know, kind of coming in last year, Krishna, in the, you know, the midst of the pandemic and then having this additional challenge, it's really going to require some deft execution on his part to make investors feel that the Red Hat acquisition will still proceed as planned. So it's certainly something that if you're in the stock, you want to keep an eye on it. Um, you know, there's certainly you are getting paid some cash flow in these next few months to figure that out. But the yeah. ability to execute on this new strategy is critical for IBM. Yeah. Well, Whitehurst got paid, according to facts, at $27 bucks in total comp last year. Wow, CEO only made 17 All right, our investment committee making moves in this market. Let's talk about the happiest place on earth, I think, Courtney. According to some, that is Disney. You've been buying Disney. You've been trimming Peloton. It's the classic goat trade. Get out and travel, I guess. <laughs> get out and travel. doesn't mean you still don't work out, by the way. I mean, but you can walk around those Disney parks in your Lululemon clothes and be getting a great workout in. And that was a plug, a shameless one, but it was a plug. Um, Disney, right, I mean, it's a name that has not seen the comeback that I would expect as of yet. Let's think about this for a second. The parks for the better half of the last 15 months had been closed. You saw kind of a complete retrenchment, people concerned about, oh, a new CEO, Bob Iger, you know, blah, blah, blah. Let's be clear. Disney is a brand, a global brand that functions like a machine. And when you get a machine, you could kind of just let it hum along and it'll do just fine, which Disney will. But instead, they continue to innovate. They continue to add. I mean, they have the second largest subscriber base in the Disney Plus behind Netflix. And by 2024, they're expecting to have somewhere between 230 and 250 million subscribers. Think about what that number actually looks like. And I think they're underestimating it candidly. They continue to bring out new shows. I mean, WandaVision. Let's think about what's actually happening behind the scenes. And once theaters obviously have continued to reopen and society gets back to a continued sense of normalcy, Disney is going to knock the cover off the ball. And it is a safe bet that you're going to get growth out of. I mean, where else are you going to see that kind of growth in a name that's been around for as long as Disney has? I mean, it's a name I want. I'm going to keep in the portfolio. And I think you got a little window here to still get in. But this name is going to take off. Okay. 
All right, there you go. Very, very bullish take on Disney by Courtney. All right, we've got a lot more to do. Stay with us here in halftime because John's latest trades and unusual activity are coming up next and before the break. Let's take a look at some of the stocks that are hitting new all-time record highs today. And it's just kind of a happy mix. You got Domino's Pizza up 2%, a new record. Target going all the way back to its IPO in 1967. You go Dayton Hudson Corporation and even O'Reilly is at a new high as well. Just three in many names. Markets are up. Friday heading into a long weekend. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Well, it is not just about stocks this hour. We are also keeping an eye and an ear on a critical OPEC meeting that is happening right now. The meeting actually just started. Now, OPEC, you know, could not make a deal yesterday. United Arab Emirates, UAE, coming in at the 11th hour and demanding more production after they had already reached the framework of a deal. This angered the other members of my sources inside of OPEC say the mood is tense. Tempers indeed have flared. The question is this for the oil and stock market. Will we get an OPEC deal today? All right. We don't know. There are three possible outcomes. I'll run through them quickly. Number one, OPEC, really the Saudis and the UAE, they settle their differences, mend their fences, figure it out. And we get to that deal that they made on paper to add 400,000 barrels per day through December. Oil remains steady. That's the most likely outcome. Option two, no new deal is reached. So if that happens, OPEC may just stick with the current plan which means they would add no new barrels to the market the next few months. And given that demand is growing, 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 that outcome, the worst for consumers, probably best for oil stock owners, it would send oil prices and stocks spiking. Oil could hit 100 could have $5 a gallon gas in that situation, according to Goldman and others. And then there's option three. That is the nuclear option. No deal gets done today, not this weekend, not at all. The UAE goes its own way. Maybe, maybe leaves OPEC, starts pumping a lot more oil. Other countries get frustrated. They do the same. That is the very least likely option. Maybe a tiny percent, but it is not zero percent, given what I'm hearing about how the negotiations are going. Three possible outcomes in that third option, while tiny, not being priced into the market. Again, the meeting just started. We'll get some news in the next couple hours. I will bring it to you as well. As soon as we know something, you will stay focused. Oil down just a touch. All right, time now for unusual activity. And, John, both your moves and what you're seeing are in the retail or at least retail and consumer product space. Exactly, Brian. And you might not be surprised about that, given that uh, the back-to-school shopping should be the largest we have ever seen. And I, I mean wow. that exaggeration ever seen uh, because of all the folks that are returning to schools and perhaps a lot of the clothes that they wore last year that just wouldn't be as appropriate for heading back to school. Anyway, Walmart is the first one, Brian, 
Um, the stock was 139.80. This morning, somebody stepped in and bought 11,800 of the next week expiring 145 calls. So that's calling for a rally of about $5. Um, because these are short-dated, I will make very quick moves next week. I expect to hold it about four days. Second one, VF Corp, a VFC. They're buying the August 85 calls with that particular stock at 84.15. Now, this is the parent company of North Face, Timberland, Supreme, Vans, uh, Eagle Creek, a bunch of that kind of uh, apparel, footwear, and so forth. I like this one. It's a longer trade. It's all the way out till um, August expiration, not next week expiration like Walmart. But mm. I will be in this likely three to four weeks, Brian. Watching VFC and WMT. VFC, a little bit of a longer trade. John, thank you very much. All right, thank Uber you, shares. They have pulled back just over 10% in the past three months. But a call out on it today sees significant upside potential. So should you jump in to Uber? The debate next on Halftime. All right, welcome back. We are seeing session highs for the Dow and the S&P 500. Look at that. Dow up four-tenths of one percent. S&P up a little more than that. Best performers in the S&P, a couple of energy names, DT Midstream, Detroit-based pipeline company. You go Detroit and NRG Energy. All right, let's get to some of the more big calls on Wall Street today. Call number one, Bank of America says Uber has significant upside potential and Courtney is a better buy than Didi in the second half of the year. Would you agree? Well, you know, Brian, you know, I like a nice hedge. And if you recall, Uber owns a piece of DD. I know they've been trimming that position, but if you want to kind of diversify, Uber is absolutely your play in ride share, in food delivery. Again, another company that continues to innovate that doesn't have to. They could sit on just a ride share business. Instead, they're making investments out of the company with their cash, which is great. They've invested in a competitor. Think about that for a second. They've continued to invest in Uber Eats, prescriptions. You take your pick. They're saying we can deliver it to your house, Brian. Uber is a name, again, it's down, I think, 1% on the year. It shouldn't be. It's trading at a discount to its peers. And if it's a name that you're not in, I highly recommend you take a look at it if it fits your portfolio specifications. Courtney, thank you. Stock number two, FedEx, named a top American idea for the third quarter at Bank of America, Michael, the stock is up 93% in the past 12 months, but almost all of that coming in the previous six months. Been kind of flat lately. You own it. What are you doing with FedEx? I love FedEx. I've loved FedEx for just a long time, Brian. 13 and a half times earnings. In a market that's trading at 22 times earnings, you got FedEx trading at 13 and a half times earnings. Growing earnings at 15% a year, I think, for the next five years compounded. You get a little bit of a dividend in there. The company can repurchase shares. They are putting more into their B&B. They are intensifying a number of their delivery areas. Their profitability is going to increase. I like this as a core holding. I've owned it a long time, up about 50 bucks this year. Hasn't been a huge winner, but it's kept pace with the markets. I think I, I, I can't imagine when I'm going to sell this stock. Hope I never have to. There you go. Bullish on Federal Express with a 1% dividend yield. All right, our experts, they are ready to answer your questions. It is Ask Halftime. It is coming up after this short break with the markets at session 
and record highs. All right, we're going Tennessee, Ohio, and Iowa in your Ask Halftime session. Here we go. Shannon Sokochia, first one is to you. Creston, down on Beale Street in Memphis, asks, what are your thoughts on Honeywell, particularly with the infrastructure bill? So I think I love Honeywell, love this company. I don't know that it's necessarily the first name that you think of when you're thinking about infrastructure, but what you should think about when you think about Honeywell is you should think about the intersection of industrials and technology. This is really a company that's on the cutting edge of technology. They're just as innovative and creative, to to steal Courtney's line from earlier, as some companies in the tech sector. So if you want industrials exposure, you want some of this lift from the infrastructure package, but you also want a company that's going to continue to innovate for the next several Several years globally, Honeywell's your pick. There you go. All right. Second question goes to Farmer Jim. John in Iowa writes, is it time to jump into Caterpillar or Deer or maybe both? Yeah, I think you got to remember what makes these two stocks tick individually. Uh, Deer is far more an agricultural products play. Uh, Caterpillar is far more of an infrastructure play. It doesn't mean that there isn't some crossover between the two, and certainly Deer has earth-moving equipment. But if your play is on continued agricultural growth, maybe because China's going to live up to the terms of the uh, 2019 trade deal, then Deer is really your way to play it. Hey, let's face it, that's been a bigger winner than Cat over the past many years. That said, infrastructure is what I believe in more. I'd be a bigger buyer of cat, but they both should do fine. Cats, Trump, deer. There we go. Courtney, Derek in Ohio asks, is Delta stock going to increase in altitude? Oh, I see what you did, Derek. Or is now a good time to abort, I guess, the landing? A lot of airline puns in there. What are we doing with Delta stock, Courtney? How about that? Well, we're definitely not aborting it, and we absolutely 100% are going to continue to see this stock rise. Delta throughout the pandemic had done everything right that you would want to see from a consumer-facing company. Let's just forget that they're an airline for a second. Let's forget the strength of their balance sheet vis-a-vis their peers. They did what they should have done to maintain their customer, and that's their power. Honestly, I really look forward to seeing them okay. bring back more flights. And if Mr. Bastion is listening, please, sir, increase the number of people in your call centers so I can buy more flights. It's time. We're, we're back. Everyone's ready to get back to some sense of normalcy, business travel, yeah. personal travel. We're all ready to get on a Delta plane, uh, and we need as much service around yeah. that as we can get. But Delta, uh, come the next couple of weeks, we'll continue to fly high. Yeah. Well, there you go. Leave your number, and we'll call you back in nine hours. All right. Final trade. Exactly. Next on halftime. <laughs> got five final trades in 50 seconds. Everyone's going to send it to each other. John, then Courtney. John, kick it off. Space, A S T R. Like this one a lot, Brian. All right. So uh, SOFI, S-O-F-I, continuing the digitization of financial services. This is a name you want to be in. Everything through their mobile app, from mortgages to personal loans, you take your pick. You want to be in that name, especially at these prices. Shannon? Mondelez, great way to get international exposure in the staple sector. Raytheon, 18 times, 10% five-year grower, 2.35% dividend. Jim? 
Qualcomm. Like it, Jim. There you go. Thank you, everybody. That's it for Halftime Report. Have a great long weekend. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. The exchange with new record highs begins now. You're welcome, Kelly. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.